والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم اجعلنا منهم ومن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر اللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله أمين يا رب العالمين ثم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته I appreciate the, uh, the uh, turnout inshallah ta'ala and I'm aware because if you're not mentally prepared well in advance you don't have long attention span so keeping that in mind I shouldn't take more than 25 at the most 30 minutes from the stretch but I'll keep uh, very cautious of the time inshallah ta'ala and in this short time um, I do want to share with you just some a small lesson from the Quran and this lesson has to do with a figure of speech an expression that is used multiple times in Allah's book and it's also found in the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi and this expression is qurrata the coolness of eyes the expression is the coolness of eyes now first and foremost it's important to know what an expression is what does it mean when you when i say it's an expression in the quran or it's an idiom in the quran an idiom in any language is when words come together but they mean something else when they come together and they mean something else when you take them apart in other words, just to give you a simple example of an idiom or an expression in English, if I say, what's up? When I say, what's up, you all know what that means. What are you, what's going on in your life? What are you doing, etc., etc. But when I take the words apart and I say, what is up? And I look at them separately, then the meaning is completely different. If you look at the dictionary of each word and you put them together in a different language, you won't get the same meaning. Similarly, an expression can be, wow, that was cool. That was cool. Now if you say that was cool, I think all of you understand what that means. That was good. I appreciated it. I liked it. That was enjoyable. But at the same time, if you look it up in the dictionary, that was cool. It would have completely different connotations. This happens in every language. And these kinds of uh, you know, combinations of words that create nuanced meaning, new meaning, new meanings that can't be captured in a dictionary, those are called figures of speech. And the Quran has a lot of them. How do you know if something's a figure of speech? You know it if the Arabs, even before the Qur'an was revealed, were using it. So you can't decide after the Qur'an is revealed, well, you know what, I think this is a figure of speech. You can't take this literally, but that's not a figure of speech. No, that's not up to us. That's decided by the language of the Arabs. You know how Allah says that the Qur'an is clear? One of the attributes of Qur'an is mubin. One of the words describing the Qur'an in the Qur'an is mubin. Mubin means clear and clarifying. It's both lazim and muta'adi. What that simply means is, it's clear in and of itself and it clarifies other things. This is one of the attributes of the Qur'an. This happens to be an attribute of the Arabic language as well. Allah says, بِلِسَانِ الْعَرَبِيِّنْ مُبِينَ The Arabic language itself, the Arabic of the Qur'an is clear and it also clarifies. It removes confusion. So, the figure of speech, let's see if you remember, which figure of speech was I talking about? The coolness of the eyes. The coolness of the eyes. First thing we're going to do is we're going to try to figure out how were the Arabs before Islam, in Jahiliya times, how were they using that phrase? Or were they even using it? And if they were, what did they mean by it? To understand that, we'll take two parts. The first part is the Arabs used to have two expressions, two things they used to say. They would say the eyes have become cool, or they would say the eyes have become warm. So they had two opposite expressions, the eyes becoming cool and the eyes becoming warm. When you are shedding tears of joy, when you are so happy it moves you to tears, they would say your eyes have become cool. And if you are overwhelmed with sadness and you're so sad and you're so depressed that you're crying, then your eyes have become what? Warm. To help you understand this even better, tears of joy versus tears of sadness, let's take an example of the airport. 
you're at the airport and you see two families. There's a mother and a son, and one son is saying goodbye, and the other son is saying hello. So one son is leaving for a few years, and they're saying farewell to each other, and both mother and son are crying. And on the other side, on the side there's a son who just arrived, and the mother is there to receive him, and they're also crying. But which, whose eyes are cool? Figure this out. Whose eyes are cool? The arrival flight or the departure flight? <laughs> the arrival flight is cool eyes, and the departure flight is what? Warm eyes, according to the expression of the Arab. You know, you know one of the worst things the Arab could say to the other Arab in Jahiliya times was Athanallahu which that which meant uh, may Allah make his eyes warm. That was one of the worst things they could say to each other. That was kind of a curse. May you be so sad and so depressed. May such bad things happen to you that you'll be moved to tears of sorrow. But the Quran's expression is eyes becoming cool, which implies tears of what? Joy, happiness, overwhelming joy. So happy that you're crying. So happy that tears are coming out of your eyes. That's the first implication of the coolness of the eyes. The second implication is that the Arab used to travel in the storm, in the desert. And the vehicle of the Arab, most of the time in long journeys, was not the horse, it was the camel. Now if there's a sandstorm, the Arab has to cover his face, because you know it's, it's, the sand is pounding his face. But there's one part of his face he can't afford to cover. Because he covers it, he won't know where he's going. And what part is that? The eyes. The eyes have to remain open. So the eyes are suffering in the storm until he finds a cave or he finds some kind of shelter. And when he finds it, he says poetically, he says, finally, my eyes have become what? Cool. In other words, the coolness of the eyes was actually used as a figure of speech also to refer to finding, referring to finding shelter from a storm. When you find refuge from a storm, your eyes have become cool. Two implications now, tears of joy and finding shelter from the storm. I'd like you to remember this background when we come to the ayat of Qur'an and the, the, actually especially the hadith that I want to share with you inshallah ta'ala in regards to this remarkable phrase in the Qur'an. One of the most prominent places it's used is in Surah Al-Furqan. This is the 25th surah. Allah Azza wa says, رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعِينَ our master, our Lord, grant us from our spouses and our children the coolness of eyes. So Allah teaches us a dua. And in this dua, we ask Allah to give us coolness of the eyes. I'm going to add a word in translation, especially out of our spouses and our children. Now the question is, where did I get the word especially? Most translations you read will say, Lord or our Lord or our master, grant us coolness of the eyes from our spouses and our children. But I said especially from our spouses and our children, or if you will, particularly from our spouses and our children. Where did I get the word especially and particularly? This is a principle of the Arabic language. The Arabic says, You see the part where I said, That phrase in Arabic normally is not supposed to be mentioned there. It's supposed to be at the end of the sentence. This is the normal sequencing of a sentence. But in the ancient Arabic, if you move that latter part earlier, the meaning gets specialized. You have to add the word especially, particularly to the meaning. Something, some, some, a nuance changes in how you interpret that text. So now I'm coming to the rough translation again. We beg Allah, our master, grant us from our spouses and our children, especially from them, the coolness of eyes. You know what that means? Make me so happy with my wife. Make me so happy with my husband. Make me so happy with my children that I am moved to tears of joy. I should be so happy with them, that I am moved to tears of joy. 
Now this is a particularly relevant du'a. And by the way, what was the other meaning besides tears of joy, you remember? Shelter from the storm? It's like the outside world is a storm. But when you come home to the spouse and the children, finally you have found what? You found shelter. All that world was a storm. You were going through pains outside. But now all those stresses have disappeared, but you've come home. And this is a particularly ironic du'a. You know why? Because for most people, the storm is not outside the house. The storm is inside the house. You know, I, I, I make a joke a lot of times about the stress, you know, in the life of a Muslim, the Muslim man especially. When a Muslim man is stressed out, who's the victim of his stress? There are two, two places where, where the average Muslim man's stress is released. One victim of his stress is the house, and the other is the masjid board meeting all over America. <laughs> Right. So he goes home and there's this fight and argument and this and that. And he says, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to the board meeting. <laughs> right? There's, and by the way, this yelling and screaming inside the home, husband and wife being sarcastic against each other, making unnecessarily inappropriate comments, just to, and knowing just what gets under the other's skin. Knowing just what hurts and knowing just what to say. Right? This is a, this is a shaitani thing to do, but this is the exact opposite of what we're asking Allah. That's not how you build peace in the house, you know? You know your wife is sensitive about how she cooks. She's always worried you're not gonna like it. So you go and you say, you know, the salt is a little low. Even if you don't think it's low, you just wanna see her burn a little. You know, you just wanna see the look on her face. Just for fun you say, you know? And she knows just what to say. You know, you smell a little funky today, you know? She'll just, she, even if you don't, she'll just see, she just needs to get back at you. This is not finding coolness in the eyes, this is finding stress. And these are small comments, there's a little bit of sarcasm here and there, a little bit of sharp commentary here and there, but it builds up over the years, and it builds aggression and nastiness. And then the husband and the wife fight, and who's watching? The children are watching. And the next thing you know, the child's a teenager, and he's yelling back at the mom, because that's what he saw earlier on. And then the parents are in shock, and they come to the imam, my kid yelled at me, what, what am I supposed to do? Walk out the house. We ask Allah particularly to make, give us coolness of the eyes, harmony, peace, joy, shelter from the storm, a stress-free environment inside the house. What a beautiful dog. What a powerful and relevant dog. And I say it's relevant because for most homes nowadays, Muslim and non-Muslim, for most homes there is no harmony inside the house. There are arguments, unresolved issues inside the house. There's no open communication inside the house. Right? There's no forgiveness inside the house. People hold grudges. How are you going to hold a grudge against your wife for months and years? How are you going to do that? How are you going to hold a grudge against your father? These are the people that are most deserving of your forgiveness. So we ask Allah to give us that coolness of the eyes from our spouses and our children. Beautiful dog. Let's see where else this phrase is used. It's used in the case of, you know, when Musa is putting her baby, or rather Musa's mother is putting her baby, she's putting him in the water. What do you think at that moment? Cool eyes or warm eyes? You can figure that out, right? It's, it's, a, it's a time of great sadness. It's a time of great fear, uncertainty. And she's putting her child in what seems to be certain death. Which is the only way to save him from even worse death. The soldier's dead on the door. So she puts him in the water. Now, another woman who's got warm eyes in that same story. Can you think of who it is? One mother has warm eyes. Another, another woman who has warm eyes. Who is it? Asiya. The, the, the spouse of Firaun. Now we have to figure out why does she have warm eyes? What's so stressful about her? Well, she see she's she's messed, she's married to a really messed up guy, probably one of the most messed up people that ever lived, right? And now here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing you have to appreciate. 
the Quran makes mention of psychological abuse against Asya. We don't even know if there's physical abuse, there might be. We don't know for sure, but we know one thing for sure. There's definitely psychological abuse. And that psychological abuse is captured in Surah Al-Taqeen. She is so overwhelmed by it, she has to, you know, when there's, when there's psychological or any kind of abuse between husband and wife, maybe the wife can call a domestic hotline. Maybe she can call the police. Maybe she can go to the government or the judge or the governor or somebody. Why can't she go any of these places? Can she go to any of these places? If she can't go to the cops, what's the problem? He kind of owns the cops. She can't go to the court because he is the court. She can't complain to the government because he is the government. She can't escape this situation. She can't. She is in the storm where her eyes are warm. And then this baby washes up. And she picks this child up. And what are the words she says? He will be the coolness of the eye for me. This kid will cool my eyes. SubhanAllah. Have you seen a mother, a, a woman who wants a child and doesn't have a child? And all of a sudden she's granted a child. When a mother is playing with her child, guess what happens? She forgets the rest of the world exists. No problems exist for her. It's just her and her child. Those of you that are married and just had a child recently, or those who have children and are older now, you can recall when you were your wife's best friend and you used to talk to her about everything. Then the baby came. And when the baby came, you're talking to your wife about how the work day was going, and you're talking to her about you know, these things that happened you know, on the way home, etc, etc. And all of a sudden she hears from the baby in the other room. And well, guess what? The conversation is over. Her world has changed now. She's mother first, wife second. That's automatic for a mother. She can't even help herself. And when she's with her child, all her problems disappear. She may not have, the electricity may be out in the house, the rent may not have been paid, there may not be food on the table, but when she's playing with her baby, all her stresses are gone. So she looks at this baby and she says, But she doesn't stop there. She, took, she looks at Fir'aun and she says, And he'll cool your eyes too. Now what's really interesting in the language of the Qur'an, it's so precise, you know, it tells us so many things. She did not say, He will cool the eyes for both of us. She didn't say that. She said, for me and for you. She separated herself from Fir'aun. Even in this manner, she doesn't associate herself with him. And the other reason is, her cooling of the eyes is different from his cooling of the eyes. His eyes are warm, not from sadness, but from rage. He is overwhelmed with rage. He's a, he's a genocidal maniac. He kills babies every other year, if you know the history of Egypt. He's a paranoid, you know, psychotic maniac. And she says, this child is special. Being in his company might even calm you down. He might even cool your eyes up. And how do we learn this? Allah Azza wa Jal tells us in Surah Taha, one of the special gifts given to Musa alayhi salam, وَأَلْقَيْتُ عَلَيْكَ مَحَبَّةً مِّنِي I have given you a special love. I threw, it, threw upon you a special love. You could say in the English idiomatic expression, I sprayed onto you a love that comes especially from me. You know the word hub in Arabic is love. Mahabba is what's called in, in Arabic morphology, it's called masdar mimi. It's empowered love. It's more than hub. And it's only used one time in the Quran, mahabba. Every other time, about 11 times, what's used? Hub. This is the only time. For Musa it's something special. And ulama comment about the eloquence of the ayah, they say, hub is one way, but mahabba is both ways. Meaning he's very loving, and anybody who comes towards him, is, comes into contact with him, they become soft too. <laughs> they become loving towards him also. This is why even Fir'aun, the, the killer of all killers, can't kill him. Even when Musa is being aggressive towards him, later on in life, he still can't kill him. He still can't get himself to do it. Even though all of Egypt is going through turmoil, he can't get himself to do it, subhanAllah. So, وَأَلْقَيْتُ عَلَيْكَ مَحَبَّةً مِّنِي Anyhow, 
So this mother says, this child will pull my eyes. But that leaves out one more mother, whose eyes are still warm. Whose mother? Which mother? The original. Not the, not the foster mother, not the original mother. What about her? In Surah Taha, Allah Azza wa reminds Musa السلام, of his favors on him. On his favors on him. We favored you. We, we gave you special favors on, on other occasions as well. Now the thing is, then he mentions the, that he returned him to his mother. Allah says, I, did a, I want you to pay attention to this. Allah says, I did a favor to you. To who? To Musa. And then he says, So I returned you, we returned you to your mother, so her eyes could become cool. So now two, two women's eyes are becoming cool with one child. SubhanAllah. But the thing, I, the side point I wanted to bring to your attention, Allah did not say He did her a favor. Allah said He did, he did who a favor? Musa said, Goodness that comes to your mother is a gift to you. That's a gift to you. The joy of your mother is a gift to you. You see how close Allah makes you to your mother? SubhanAllah. <laughs> That's not even, the baby doesn't feel anything. He doesn't know the difference. But the mother's eyes becoming cool is being described as a favor done to Musa SubhanAllah. What amazing lessons we're learning here. How attached are we supposed to be to our mothers? You know, what a relationship we're supposed to have with them. So these are a couple of examples about coolness of the eyes so far. But we go a little further. There's one more place I want you to see the coolness of the eyes. And by the way, the second one, when he returned him to his mother, I want you to appreciate that a little bit, especially the mothers here. You take your child, your two-year-old, your three-year-old to the grocery store, right? And it's just you and your child. And you go to the grocery store and you're putting things in your cart. And all of a sudden you look to your right and the child is not there. And you look to your left and the child is not there. What happens to the mother all of a sudden? She goes crazy. She doesn't think who's watching, who's going to say something. You know, I'm in public, I should behave. No. And then she looks and the child is 10, 12, 13 feet away. You have not seen dives like that in the NFL. Her eyes are burning until she finally gets her child and finally her eyes have become cool. You have to appreciate a mother losing her child and then regaining him. The kind of joy, the kind of... Can you imagine the tears of joy of this mother? She had just, you know, maybe days ago, maybe hours ago, put this child in the water and now she's holding him again. Can you imagine the joy she's feeling? Allah captures that with what phrase? The coolness of the eyes. The coolness of the eyes. But actually all of this was just me preparing you for the actual topic. And I'll probably I'll try to wrap it up within 10 minutes, inshaAllah. All of this was to tell you how beautifully this phrase is actually used in a hadith of the Prophet But before I take you to that hadith, I have to prepare you for it. You, have, you can't appreciate that hadith just by reading it. You have to set up the scene before you could really taste the beauty of the Messenger's words, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay. To learn this part of this, to, to appreciate this lesson, I want you to remember one thing. A messenger is basically involved in two conversations. A conversation with the people, and a conversation with Allah. There are two conversations a messenger has to deal with. A, con a communication with Allah and a communication with the people. Okay, this is very simple, this is something you already knew. But let's take the example, since we're on the subject, of Musa salam first. Let's take his example. Musa salam is traveling with his family and he sees a flame. He sees a flame, he tells his family, Umkuthu, Ibra'a naran, faqala li ahlihim kuthu. 
Again, the language is remarkable. He says to his family, you stay here, it is certainly only I that sees a flame. Now I added the word only, because inni anastu creates ikhtisaf. This is an Arabic principle. I won't make you feel bad about not knowing Arabic yet, but I'll just get to the bottom line. The bottom line is, somehow Allah tells us only he could see the flame. And this is important, because if it's in the middle of the night, and there's a flame, and it's the dark desert, if somebody sees light, what are they going to do? They're going to go there too. But nobody else is meant to go there. So Allah made it so only one man can see the flame. He can't even tell his family, look, don't you see it? That's not even the language. He says, only I see it. You stay here, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And by the way, later on, which the part we're not going to get to in this talk, you know how many adventures Musa had before he finally gets to that place? He finally gets there. You know what Allah tells him in that passage? وَجِئْتَ عَلَىٰ قَدَرِي يَا مُوسَىٰ You came precisely on schedule. You're, you met, the plan was made, you would do this, 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 you would go through this, this, this. Your journey gonna be, is going to be in the water, your journey is going to be into the castle of Fir'aun, then you will journey out of there and leave Egypt, then you're going to spend many years in Ahl Madian, then you're going to travel with your family, then you're going to meet, and the time and the moment and the second have been set, you came precisely on schedule. It's amazing actually. It's really beautiful language that Allah tells us ourselves. But let's get back to the main topic itself. He sees the fire, he goes up there. Is he expecting to meet someone he knows already? No. He gets up there and the first thing he hears, he gets, so Allah says, Well, as soon as he got there, a call was made, Ya Musa. Now one thing to say, Ya Rajul. Right? Hey, hey man, hey you. Watch out where you are. But he's called by name. So already, whoever this is knows who I am. What's going on here? Already his mind is churning. What's going on? I don't get what's happening. Allah introduces Himself in the book. No doubt it is I, your master, your Lord. I don't like Lord because it's Old English. Master is actually closer to the, the core meaning of the word Rabb. But that's a separate discussion. In the book. Here, again, a side note. When Allah introduces Himself to Rasulullah, what location was it? What location was that? Another mountain? Another cave? Right? And in the cave, how did he introduce himself? With what words? What words did revelation begin with? Iqra, this means Rabb. The word Rabb was used to introduce Allah to the Messenger. The word Rabb is being used to introduce Musa to Allah. Inni ana Rabbuk. And here also, the first thing Allah gave him was a command. Iqra, read. Here also a command. Take your shoes off. Command. You are in the sacred valley of Tuwa. He's still in shock. Right? Why me? Why, how does he know me? And why, why am I being chosen? I have chosen you for the good I see in you. You know, in Arabic, there are lots of words for choosing, but the word Allah used was ikhtiyar. Ikhtiyar comes from khayr. You know what khayr is? Good. I chose you because I see something good in you. You know why that's important to say to Musa? Because he feels bad. Now you figure out why he feels bad. Why does he feel bad? Does he feel like he did done something wrong? What is it? He punched the guy and the guy died. He's kind of a tough puncher, right? So he's got that guilt. And Allah says, no, I see good in you. It is I who chose you for the good I see in you. I see good in you, you don't even see it yourself, but I see it. Then listen carefully to what is being revealed. Now Allah starts talking to Musa Let's take a step back. Let's take a small step back. This is a conversation between a human being and Allah, 
this is one of the greatest historical occasions ever in humanity. This is one of the most, one of the landmark incidents in human history. And compare this to something, just so you can appreciate it. I like comparison because when you compare a rock to a diamond, you appreciate the diamond more. <laughs> Have you ever met someone famous? When you meet someone famous, when you talk to someone famous, when you have dinner with someone famous, when you call someone famous, it becomes a burning memory in your life. So much so that when you meet someone new and you're becoming friends with someone, one of the conversation starters you have is, you know who I met? You know who I talked to? You know who I met this one time? You know who had lunch next to me? You know I was at the conference and I was praying? And you know who was next to me? I didn't even know. <laughs> And what do you mean when you shake hands with someone famous, people take a picture and frame it in their house. Frame it in their house, subhanAllah. Or they pass the story on generations. You know, I got to meet the president. Or I got to meet this one or that one. Right? Who is Musa meeting? Who is he talking to? Allah subhanAllah. You think he's ever going to forget it? You think that's even possible? And do you think he wants this conversation to be short or long? Here's the important question. He wants this to last. When you get to talk to somebody important, even if you don't have a question, you say, I have just one more question. I just, so, so what else is going on? <laughs> you want to prolong the conversation. So Allah introduces Himself formally, tells Him the day of judgment is coming. Inna sa'a Serious conversation. And all of a sudden, Allah says something so unexpected. He says to him, What's that in your right hand, Musa? Who's asking? Allah is asking Musa, what's in your right hand? Now, does Allah know? Here's a more interesting question. Does Musa know that Allah knows? He knows too, huh? Actually, Musa knows because Allah has told him already his whole life. He knows his name, so he knows what is in his hand. It's pretty obvious. But Musa doesn't turn to Allah and say, Ya, ya Rabbi, innaka a'lamu minni. Oh my master, you know what this is. You know better than I do. What am I going to say? Seriously, Allah? You don't know what this is? No, he didn't say anything. Actually, you know what he said? The question was, what is that in your hand? What's the answer? What do you expect the answer to be? And by the way, what was in his hand, you know? The staff. I, for the younger guys here, it's, staff is not the people you hire. Staff is the old staff. Okay, it's not my staff they work with. <laughs> don't be confused. It's a long stick. It's different from a cane. A cane is a sign of weakness. But a staff is a sign of strength. Okay, so this is, that's why we don't use cane, we use staff. Okay, so it's a, it's a long stick. So the answer, the question was, what's in your hand? The answer is, it's my staff. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I lean on it. Did Allah ask what you do with it? What did Allah ask? What is it? And where is the answer complete? The answer is complete as soon as you say, this is my staff. But he doesn't want to hang out if you understand what I'm saying. He wants to keep the conversation going. So he says, I lean on it. Then he says, hmm, what else can I think of to prolong the conversation? I beat bushes with it so my sheep can eat. Did Allah ask? No. Now he's thinking, what else can I say about this stuff? I mean, how many things can you say about a stick anyway? <laughs> You're going to run out of things to say pretty fast. So he can't think of anything else to say. So you know what words come out of his mouth? It's remarkable, it's so beautiful. He says, And I've got some other benefits that come from it too. <laughs> SubhanAllah. It's an illustration of how he wants this conversation to just go on. 
He's got a chance to talk to Allah. When is a human being going to get a chance like that? Why would he want that to go away? Now this conversation goes on. And all of a sudden Allah says to him, in the course of this conversation, I want you to read the whole conversation here. It's so beautiful. It's in Surah Taha, Surah 20, among other places. Right? So Taha has a detailed account of it. Allah says to him, اِذْهَبْ إِلَىٰ فِرْعَوْنَ إِنَّهُ طَغَىٰ Go to Fir'aun. He's rebelled. Now that you've had conversation with me, now it's time for you to have conversation with who? Fir'aun. I told you in the beginning of this conversation, I said a messenger has to have two communications. One with Allah and one with the people. Now the question is, he just had the most beautiful conversation of his life. And who's he going to talk to next? He's going to talk to the guy from whom shaitan wants an autograph. He's going to talk to, he's going to have the nastiest conversation of his life now. Why do I say it's the nastiest conversation? He's going to call him a liar, a, a, a criminal, uh, he's going to make fun of his stutter, he's going to call him humiliated, he's going to call him a magician, he's going to call him insane, he's going to call him every name in the book, in one conversation. You think anybody enjoys being called a liar? And a criminal? Anybody enjoys being made fun of in public? This is going to be a tough conversation. But Allah says, now it's time for you to have that conversation. I want to tell you on the side something about Fir'aun that you may not have known before, or not have appreciated before. Fir'aun is the biggest victim of shaitan in this earth. He's the archetype described, the human, the biggest human victim of shaitan is Fir'aun. Now how do we know this? Which surah protects us from the waswasa of shaitan, you know? Which surah protects us from the waswasa of shaitan? Surah Al-Nas. What names of Allah are mentioned in Surah Al-Nas, do you know? قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِي رَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ and إِلَاهِ النَّاسِ Three names of Allah are mentioned رَبْ مَلِكْ and إِلَاهِ Now listen to what Fir'aun himself says فَقَالَ أَنَا رَبُّكُمُ الْأَعْلَى What word did he use for himself? رَبْ He says أَلَيْسَ لِي مُلْكُ مِصْرَى مُلْكْ He says don't I have the sovereignty in the kingdom of Egypt? What did he just call himself? Malik. He says to his generals, I don't know any ilah for you except myself. For himself, he used three words in the Quran. What three words? Rabb, Malik, and ilah. What bigger victim of shaitan can there be? The words that are reserved for Allah, he used for himself. All three of them. How particular that Allah mentioned those three names in Surah Al-Nas. Anyhow, come back to this. He has to engage in a conversation with Fir'aun. The most beautiful conversation is now prepared and has strengthened him for the nastiest conversation. Let's turn to our messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa Does he also have to have two conversations? A conversation with Allah and a conversation with the people? Which one do you think a messenger enjoys? Which one do you think any human being would enjoy? It's a no-brainer, guys. It's a conversation with Allah. But the messenger is obligated to have conversations with the people. And when he has conversations with the people, what do the people do? Do the people also speak respectfully and nicely and courteously? Look, I was, I'm, I've been invited here. I was invited here last minute. You guys came out and you're, I appreciate you coming and listening. But if all of a sudden, if one of you got up and started insulting me, cursing me, cursing my family, humiliating me, embarrassing me, calling me all kinds of filthy names, what would I do? What do you expect me to do? Do you expect me to sit here and take it? No. 
You know what I would do? I would take this thing off, probably kick the camera, walk out of here, drive really fast back to my hotel, take an early flight back to Dallas, and then next time I get an invitation from Corona Mush, and I would say, is that guy still there? Because if he's there, I ain't coming. Don't they know who I am? I'm on YouTube after all. <laughs> Does the messenger have that luxury? He goes out to invite the people. The people curse him, humiliate him, call him names. Does he say, do you know who you're dealing with, fool? You know what, forget these people. I'm going to, I'm going to Medina. I'm going to Fai. I'm going to go to Habasha. I'm going to go somewhere else. Does he have that luxury? No. He has to. And by the way, he can't even go to a different crowd. Forget, this crowd was not very helpful. I'm going to go find a different crowd. The next day, he has to talk to which crowd again? The same crowd. And if they were obnoxious the first day, do you think they're nicer the next day or worse? They're, if they're nasty the first day, they'll only get nastier the next day, and only worse the day after, and only next the day, worse the day after, and it's only going to get uglier, uglier, uglier. Put this into perspective. You and I are decent people, respectable people. You expect to be respected at work, don't you? You expect that nobody's going to insult you when you go to your job. You're, you're a respectful human being. But if a co-worker comes to you and starts cursing you out, humiliating you publicly in front of everyone, and you are not used to that kind of thing. Now, if you if you are the kind of person that runs with a lower scum element of society where cursing and nastiness is just part of your life, then maybe you'll brush it off when somebody curses you out. You'll maybe use power language back at them, right? But if you're not used to that kind of filth and you're a decent human being, when somebody uses that kind of language towards you, you know what happens to you the rest of that day? You're not going to eat lunch. Your face is going to be all droopy. You're going to come home. Your family's going to say, what's the matter? You'll say, I don't want to talk about it. What do you want to have for dinner? I'm not hungry you would mentally shut down. You would shut down. Let me tell you this another way. Your eyes would become, what? Warm. Do you think messengers are also human beings, right? When they're humiliated, when they're insulted, these are the most noble of people. When they're de degraded like that, look at Nuh What complaint did he make to Allah? He would walk by and they would lift their clothes and cover themselves like they are disgusting. A messenger is walking by and you know how like those smelly homeless guys trying to hug you or something and you're like, eh. That's what they would do to Nuh when he would walk by. Whenever he would start talking, they'd stick their fingers in their ear, which is our the contemporary equivalent of whatever man, blah, 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 blah. I ain't listening. Or rolling your eyes, like our young guys are gonna roll their eyes. Yeah, uh-huh. That's what they would do to Noah This is humiliating. Clearly, they don't want to hear what he has to say, but does he say, you know, it's obvious you don't want to hear what I have to say, I'm gonna stop talking. Does he have that luxury? No, because he's not speaking because he wants to. He's speaking because he has to. Allah told you have to speak. No, people aren't listening. No, you have to speak. But people don't pay attention. You have to speak. Allah's Messenger is told, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مُذَكِّرْ You just remind. But people aren't listening. You just remind. People make fun. You just remind. Your job is to remind. That's it. Don't worry about it. لَسْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِمُسَيْتَ You're not in charge of them. You're, you're not putting control over them. You just do what your part is. That's it. You keep doing it. How hard is that? If you guys were just talking to each other, telling me to shut up while I was speaking, and Allah is telling the messenger, just keep talking, don't worry about it, just keep doing it, keep doing it. It's a psychological battle. The point I'm trying to make is the messenger's eyes are becoming warm. 
So what does he need to do to those? He needs to cool them, doesn't he? To regain his calm, to regain his composure, to regain his humanity. What does he have to do? Now listen to the hadith, and I'm concluding with it. The Messenger of Allah says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, جُعِدَتْ قُرَّةُ عَيْنَيَّ فِي الصَّلَاةِ The coolness of my eyes was placed in the salah. When he talks to the people, his eyes become warm. When he goes in salah, who's he talking to? He's talking to Allah, his eyes become cool again. Now he's ready to talk to the people again. Then his eyes become warm. Then he comes back to salah, and his eyes become cool again. So what does he prefer? The joy of his life. The joy that gives him so it gives him so much joy is moves into tears. The thing that is the refuge from the storm for him is salah. That's salah. If any of you are thinking you do work of da'wah, you do work of da'wah. You know work of da'wah is talking to the people. But what we're learning here is you can't talk to the people until you talk to who? Until you talk to Allah. And you can't talk to Allah until you're making salah properly, until you find joy in salah. You're not doing da'wah, you're handing pamphlets. You're not doing da'wah, you're giving empty speeches. You gotta talk to Allah first. You gotta do that. That leads to da'wah. Now that's that's the da'wah of the messengers. So their salah is coolness of the eyes to them, and our salah is an obstacle in our day. Oh man, Maghrib already? God! You know? Or you're playing Grand Theft Auto, and it's like Asr time. Your mom says, Salat! And you pause it, and then you go make Salat, and in your Salat, you're still playing Grand Theft Auto. Right? And so you need to get it over with quickly so you can get to back to what's really important. So you stand in Salat and you recite, It's really short. You can get it over with and get back to what's really important. And the irony is, you're reciting the Surah that says you're running out of time. And you're reciting it because you're running out of time for the. <laughs> the irony of the situation. The tragic irony. The final thing I want to share with you. Do you remember? I said if you meet someone important, you never forget. And who did Musa Salam meet? Allah's in conversation he met him with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's obvious he's never gonna forget that conversation. He's never gonna forget Allah. But even him, when Allah introduced himself, you know what he said? He said to him, Ya innani an Allah, it is no doubt by Allah. La ilaha illa ana. There is no one to be worshipped or obeyed in any way, shape, or form except I. Fa'budni, then enslave yourself and worship me. Wa Establish salah so you can remember me. To remember me, what must you do? Establish salah. To the man who will never forget him. Allah says, no, no, if you really want to remember, establish salah. If you really want to remember, salah is the way to remember. That's dhikr. And when salah is empty, then you will find all kinds of creative avenues to fill that void. Be it songs and music or video games or movies or all kinds of creative ritual to fill that void. When that void, when that void is filled, when that cools your eyes, nothing else will. Nothing else will. I pray that Allah gives us coolness of the eyes in salah. I pray that Allah gives us coolness of the eyes in our spouses and our children. I, I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the joy in serving his deen, the joy that was felt by the Messenger of Allah and his, his noble companion, and I pray that Allah overlooks the shortcomings and the mistakes and the, the, the careless attitude sometimes we have in the salah, 
and the heedless attitude we have in salah, I pray that Allah Azza wa overlooks it and forgives it and accepts whatever broken salah we make anyway, because in, in the end we beg for Him to accept whatever we have done. رَبَّنَا تَقَبَلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ وَتُبْ عَلَيْنَا يَا مَوْلَانَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ التَّوَابُ الرَّحِيمُ وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَلَى خَيْرِ خَلْقِهِ مُحَمَّدٍ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ I would have taken QA, but uh, there are a bunch of people waiting for me, so I'm going to have to run. InshaAllah, uh, JazakAllah for the invitation, and thank you very much for listening. Shukran alaikum.